Well, good morning again. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Our study through the Gospel of Matthew has brought us to Matthew 10, verse 26. Last week we saw Jesus teach his disciples, and certainly us as well today, all who would follow Christ, that, um, that he calls us to go out and, and proclaim the good news, to publicly identify with Jesus, to tell others about Jesus. And so Jesus said last week, I'm sending you out, right, with this message, but he did warn them and us that we should expect persecution, that the world is not going to like this message by and large, and um, it's even going to divide families, it's going to divide, um, you know, households and, and, and workplaces and things, and, and remember the picture, he said, I send you out as sheep among wolves, so I mean, it was a very sober warning, but then even in the midst of, of warning them to expect persecution, Jesus encouraged us by um, reminding us, uh, but the Spirit is going to be with you. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you. He's going to give you the courage uh, to be bold. He's going to give you the words to say when you're, when you're kind of uh, given that opportunity and, and, and called out to testify. And then the other encouragement, if you remember, was that even in the midst of suffering, that is a platform to further glorify God, to further um, testify to Christ, and to see God work through that to draw even more to himself. Right, So that was the encouragement we saw last week. And now in verse 26, we're still in this theme of, of going out for Jesus, of, of telling others about the gospel. So would you stand with me, please? In honor of God's word, I want to read the passage we want to consider today, verses 26 through 33. So please follow along as I, as I read. Matthew 10, 26. Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father." But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Father, once again, please give us understanding of these words and and give us ears to hear and help me proclaim them clearly and boldly today. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As Christians, God calls us to publicly identify with Jesus and to prayerfully tell others about Jesus. But if we're honest, I think many of us would admit we, we struggle, especially with that second part, of telling others about Christ. And I wanted to just think, wanted you to think with me about that for a minute. Why do we struggle, if you struggle, maybe some of you don't, but those of you who do, why do we struggle telling others about Jesus? Why do we struggle proclaiming the gospel to this lost 
and dying world. I think there are various reasons, one of which is fear. We are afraid of how people will respond. Are they going to be offended? Are are they going to reject us? Are they going to hurt us in some way? Because we have proclaimed the truth to them, the good news that, that Christ Jesus is Lord, that he's come to save all those who turn to him in repentance and faith. Well, here in Matthew 10, Jesus calls his disciples to proclaim this gospel to the world, and Jesus knows that his followers are going to struggle with fear. So I don't know if you you noticed, but I want you to notice now, in this passage, three times he he encourages them to not fear. (laughs) All right, did you see that? Verse 26, so have no fear of them. Who's the them? Well, it's it's the wolves, really. It's those who are going to persecute you. Uh, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body. Um, where's the last one? Verse 31, fear not. Three times he says, don't fear. And, and, and each time he does, he's going to give a reason, a, a truth to encourage them to, to not fear, to encourage them to courageously testify to Christ. So I want to look at those three reasons with you today under this first heading. I've got two headings in our notes. If you have the bulletin there, you see the outline. But this first heading is courage to testify to Christ. And, and under those three points, I want to look at the three reasons Jesus gives as we go through um, the, these verses here. Jesus calls us to courageously make him known. Here's number one, reason one, encouragement number one, I guess you could say. God will make it right in the end. That's what verse 26 is talking about. God will make it right in the end. Look at verse 26 with me. He says, so have no fear of them for, here comes the reason why you don't need to fear them. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And what what he's talking about there is, If you think about it, oftentimes opposition and persecution occur in hidden ways, ways that are not open to public scrutiny. I mean, we're going to see that even with with Jesus, right? You know, I mean, there were times when the Pharisees, they were just wanting to to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds, right? And so they had to kind of do this in a sneaky way. And that's how opposition and persecution often takes place whether it's the Christian who's quietly passed over for a promotion or whether it's some kind of subtle insults and snubs or whether it's veiled threats or in some countries it's, it's even hidden torture chambers, right? But oftentimes persecution, opposition occurs out of the public's eye because the evil loves darkness, right? And, and there, certainly there are places where persecution is done publicly because it's the governing authorities who are opposed to Christianity. But either way, in either situation, whether it's public or hidden, believers who are experiencing that might, be, might question and say, uh, God, do you see what's happening to me? God, do you see what they're doing to me? How long, O oh Lord, is this going to continue, right? Isn't that the cry of, in the Bible we see of God's people when they're suffering? How long, O oh Lord? Who is going to hold these evil men accountable for their sin? And in verse 26, Jesus is saying, he's assuring his disciples, there is coming a day when God himself will vindicate his people. Even if this persecution was done in secret, he's telling them, 
Be, be encouraged. God sees what's happening. God knows what's happening. And God will make it right. Justice is going to be served in the end. The Apostle Paul, if you remember in his letter to the Thessalonians, the second letter, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 1, he was encouraging the, the Christians who are being persecuted that God was going to vindicate them one day. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When is this going to happen? Well, he says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the, of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So he, God in his word encourages believers who are undergoing persecution, those who are suffering for the sake of Christ. Hey, God sees and God knows and God's going to do something about it someday. He may deliver you now. He may not. Uh, you know, he may, in other words, you may have to suffer that persecution even to, to death. But in the end, God's going to vindicate you at the second coming of Christ. The Lord Jesus is coming again, the Bible says. And, and this time he's coming in, in power and in great glory. And he's going to gather his own and he's going to defeat his enemies. And we know the Bible says one day every human will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the judge of all the earth. And then every person who persecuted Christians will be held accountable. Whether it was persecution done in secret or in broad daylight, everyone will have to answer for how they treated the Lord's people and how they responded to the gospel. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10, 26. Justice will be served. The gospel will be seen to be true. Have you ever thought about that, right? We, we live in a world where it's, it's so, so many reject the gospel, right? And so many don't believe in, in God's word. They don't try to follow God. We, we are the minority. But one day, the gospel will be seen to be true by everyone. Justice will be served. The gospel will be seen to be true. Those who rejected Christ and persecuted believers, one day, even they, will have to bow the knee. And I imagine it will be through gritted teeth they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before they are sent to everlasting judgment. That's what Philippians 2 says. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So the gospel will be seen to be true. And that, that's meant to be an encouragement here to the disciples as they go out as sheep among wolves, as they suffer persecution. Jesus says, know that one day God will vindicate his people and justice will prevail. And that should give you courage to proclaim the gospel now and to suffer for the sake of the gospel now, he's saying. And that's, that's what, where he goes in verse 27, right? 26, he says, God sees. He's going to vindicate you one day. One day he's going to make it right. One day the gospel is going to be seen to be true. Therefore, proclaim it boldly now. That's what verse 27 says. What I tell you in the dark, you say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And again, think about the original disciples. Up to this point, Jesus' ministry has been more localized there to Galilee. Much of Jesus' teaching to the disciples has been in private. 
And so in that sense, I think it has been kind of told in the dark. It has been kind of whispered. But Jesus is saying, you disciples, you're going to have a much more public proclamation. Right? And, and I know I've referenced it several times now, but it's, it, it helps us you know, see where all this is going, right? In Matthew 28, the risen Lord Jesus Christ will commission his disciples and say, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Right? This is no longer just a localized thing. Now go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so that's what verse 27 is picturing, this, this broad proclamation that if you know that area, you know that their, their houses have flat roofs, right? And so that, those, are, those make for excellent platforms to just get up there and proclaim the good news, right? And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Don't be silent followers. Don't be secretive about the gospel. I want you to tell the world that salvation is found in Christ alone. I want the good news to go out, to get it out, he's saying. Proclaim it from the rooftops that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? We have a song that goes like that, don't we? I, mean, I can't even think what it is, but it's ringing in my ears right now. That Jesus Christ is Lord, right? He's saying, proclaim it from the rooftops. Every, tell everybody the good news that whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. This is similar to what we heard in the Beatitudes where Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine before others, he says. Publicly identify with Christ. Serve Christ unashamedly. Pray for and look for opportunities to proclaim the good news. That's what he's calling us to do, loved ones. Pray for and look for opportunities to proclaim the good news. Serve Christ. And and that will lead to opportunities, right? So you serve Christ. You're prayerfully looking for opportunities to tell others the gospel, to tell them the good news that you were lost, but God's grace found you, to tell them the good news that Jesus lived and died in your place so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be made right with God, to proclaim the good news that Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death and evil so that all who call upon him are saved and made right with God. To tell them the good news that God gives eternal life. That he's given you eternal life. And that you'll get to be with Jesus forever. That's what we're to proclaim. And that's how we are to live. And though the world often rejects and opposes the gospel now, again, God's going to make it right in the end. So Jesus says, keep proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Keep proclaiming the good news that he is the only way for sinners to be made right with God. And one day, the truth of the gospel will be proven to all. So that's the first encouragement to to courageously identify with Christ. In verse 28, we come to our second, do not fear, right? Look at verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I went back and forth on how to how to succinctly say this if, for those who are note takers. So I, I settled on two ways. <laughs> number one is this. I mean, it's point number two, but you could write this. Make pleasing God your top priority. Make pleasing God your top priority. 
Or simply stated, what, what he's saying explicitly is fear God, not men. Fear God, not men. In other words, make pleasing God your top priority. What is Jesus saying here? Those who persecute Christians, even Satan himself, the, the, our ultimate enemy, they cannot kill the soul. The worst they can do is kill the body. So Jesus says, do not fear them. And he's contrasting it. He says, they cannot, all they can do is kill the body, but God can destroy both soul and body in hell. And while this verse is, should certainly be a warning to any Judas-type pretenders who were among them or who would be among us, Jesus is not saying that Christians should be worried, true Christians should be worried about being thrown into hell. That's not what this verse is saying. It's, it's a warning to pretenders, yes, but he's not saying that true Christians should be worried about being thrown into hell. Jesus is simply contrasting those who persecute Christians with God. See, that's what he's doing. <laughs> okay? We know that Christians, those who are true believers, don't need to fear hell. Christians have been delivered from hell because the Bible says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Jesus has made propitiation for the sins of his people, Hebrews 2.17, meaning he has fully satisfied God's wrath against all of our sins. And so Jesus' point here in Matthew 10 is that Christians should only be fearing God, not man. And here's where the contrast comes in. He's saying those enemies, even Satan himself, their power is limited. The most they can do is kill the body, whereas God has unlimited power and authority. He rules over all, he, and he is the final judge. God is sovereign, and God alone determines where every person spends eternity. So he's contrasting the two. He's telling his disciples, saying, don't fear man. Man's power is limited. Instead, fear God. And, of course, this raises the whole subject of the, the fear of the Lord, of fearing God, something, a, a subject the Bible talks a lot about. And I tried to really study it this week, but, man, I mean, it could be a whole series of sermons, right? The Bible talks both in the Old and the New Testament about the people of God fearing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. So there should be this foundational fear a recognition that I am a creature completely dependent upon God, dependent upon Him for life, for salvation, for everything. Right? There's a, there's a recognition there. There's a, there's a fear. Now, as believers, we no longer need to fear God's wrath because, again, Christ has borne it in our place. That's, that's the good news of the gospel. But we are still to fear God to have a reverential fear of who he is. And that's, that's kind of the best definition I've seen. That's kind of the accepted definition among a lot of scholars is if you want to summarize it, there's a lot of aspects to the fear of God, but if you want to boil it all down, it's a reverential fear, or excuse me, a reverential awe of who God is. A reverential awe of who God is. It The fear of God entails a mixture of reverence and admiration and amazement at who God is and what he has done for us. So to fear God, it's, it's, it's living before, it's recognizing I live before the face of God. 
really the fear of God, I think a synonym to it would be cultivating a heart of worship for God. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's this awe, it's this reverence of who God is and what he's done for us. We recognize he is sovereign. We stand in awe of his holiness. We stand in awe of his, his sovereign power. We stand in awe of his steadfast love and his infinite wisdom and his amazing grace. And, and as we think about those things daily, this, this reverential awe becomes the fueling source of our, of our worship. And it becomes the fueling source of our pursuit of godliness. We recognize I live before the face of God. He is awesome. He has been so good to me. And I, and I want to please him. Another writer described it, made this distinction, right? That now through Jesus Christ, God is my heavenly father, so I don't have the type of fear that a slave would have toward a harsh and cruel master. Rather, we should, as Christians, we should have the type of loving fear that a child has toward his or her father. That we respect them, or in, in, in God's case, we reverence him. We are so appreciative of him. We want to please him. We depend on him. We will give an account to him. Right? That's the fear of God. We want to please our Heavenly Father because we love him and because we know that he loves us. And we know that, that our Heavenly Father sees everything we do and that we will give an account to him. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of, of what we've done in the body, how we've served him. That doesn't determine our, our final destination, right? That, that's secure in Christ. We'll be in heaven, but it determines our rewards. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So again, to fear God is to want to please God. And that's really what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10. That as believers, our focus should be on pleasing God, on obeying God and bringing glory to him. And so we could talk about that in all areas of the Christian life, right? That, that pleasing God needs to be our, our priority, our, our focus, 2 Corinthians 5.9 says. That, that's a good reminder that no matter what you do, when, when your, your flesh wants you to... to um, gratify sinful desires, right? Or, or when you're tempted to, to succumb to peer pressure, right? And you want to please other people. You always need to be, as a Christian, saying, no, 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 what will please God? That's what I need to do by God's grace and dependence on the Spirit. And, and, and again, in Matthew 10, we're talking specifically about proclaiming the gospel, about speaking up for Christ, and we know that God calls us to proclaim Christ, that we are his ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We're commissioned to go and make disciples. And now Jesus is telling us as we do that, it will bring persecution from sinful men. But even when that happens, by God's grace, we say, no, I care more about pleasing God than I do about my personal comfort and safety right now.
You see, that's where the rubber meets the road here in Matthew 10. I care more about pleasing God than I care about being liked by and accepted by this sinful world. I care more about pleasing God than I care about experiencing whatever consequences I'm going to experience, right? It's worth it to experience those in order to obey God and please Him and testify to Christ when I'm called to do so, right? That's what he's saying. And and remember the encouragement from last week, right? That the Spirit is going to be with us. And just as the Spirit gives you the power to proclaim Christ, to testify to Christ in the first place, you know that as you face persecution, the Spirit will continue to be there, continue to help you endure that persecution, giving you the power and grace and platform to use it as a further uh, proclamation of the gospel, like we talked about last week. So Jesus knew. He knew his disciples are going to face threats. And he knew that when they face those threats, they're going to be tempted to deny him. That they're, they're going to be put in situations where if they align themselves with Christ, it's going to cost them. Around this world, Christians face real threats, whether it be loss of employment or property or relationships or even loss of life, if they do not renounce the name of Christ. But Jesus says, no matter what the threats are, do not fear man. The worst they can do is take your life. And the Bible says that if they do that, what happens? What happens, Christian, if they take your life? They're just ushering you home to Jesus, right? Paul said in Philippians, what was it, 121, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The enemies of the cross and and Satan himself cannot take away our salvation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says. And so the worst they can do is, is take your life. And then you'll be welcomed. Think about the, the picture in Acts when, when Stephen's being persecuted and, and, and martyred. What does he see? He sees Jesus standing there welcoming, welcoming him into heaven. So when pleasing God is our priority, it's going to help us obey God in all areas of life. I got no juice in this thing, but so this is a, again this is a huge topic that I've been thinking a lot about because I know it's it's something that I need to grow in just this not having this fear of man right in all areas. Um, As Christians, the Bible calls us to fear God, not man, in all areas of life. So that, just, I'll leave you to study that another day on your own. But Paul said, here's a verse I think about a lot, Galatians 1.10. Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul knew that if I try to keep this world happy, if I had to try to keep everybody happy, I won't be able to do what God is calling me to do. And so that's what we are to cultivate, this 
this heart of worship, this fear of God, this desire to please God, that we're willing to obey him no matter the cost, no matter what other people think. All right, so that's the second encouragement. Here's the the third one. I'll go ahead and give it to you, and then we'll read the, the verses that it comes from. God loves you and controls what happens to you. God loves you and controls what happens to you. It's, it's very interesting, this passage. He, goes, he talks about fearing God in verse 28, and then he immediately goes to how much God loves you. <laughs> verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. He's saying, yes, it may be God's will that you, that you are persecuted. It may even be God's will that you would die at the hands of men because of your identification with Christ. But he's saying, do not think that God has forgotten you if that happens. Do not think that God doesn't love you if you're suffering and being persecuted. No, God cares for all his creation right down to the little sparrow. And the sparrows were so insignificant, they, they sold, what, two for a penny, he says. They're so cheap, they seem so insignificant, yet he's saying even God cares for them, and he knows and controls each time one of them falls to the ground, each time one of them dies. And so it's a, it's a lesser to greater argument, right? Since God knows and cares and determines the details of a seemingly insignificant sparrow's life, how much more does God love and care for you? who are made in God's image, who've been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who've been adopted into his family. And so what these verses are calling us to do is trust God. Trust God even in the midst of suffering. Trust God even in the midst of of opposition because of Christ. In other words, because of our identification with Christ. Keep trusting God because God loves you. And God knows What's happening? God cares, and God is even the one that is sovereignly bringing about, bringing it about. God is in control of what is happening to you. This is another reminder of, of the sovereignty of God. That, did you see that's how the disciples were, were praying in Acts 4? You, you know, they, here they're facing the, the very rulers who had the Lord Jesus crucified, Right? And now they're being threatened and imprisoned, and they're going to be flogged and, and eventually martyred too. But they're saying in Acts 4 that I read earlier, God, they're doing what your sovereign hand has brought about, what you said in your scriptures would happen. They're sinning, they're evil, they're rejecting your anointed one, but yet we know you are sovereign, we know you are bringing, you're, you're causing this to happen to, to bring about your plan. And so this is a... This verse here in Matthew 10 is another reminder that nothing happens to us apart from the sovereign hand of God. Every, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Every sparrow that falls, God has brought that about. Every inch of this universe, every cell of our body, every heart of every person is under God's wise and loving control. And so it's saying God is sovereign and he loves us. He knows what you're enduring. He knows the very number of hairs on your head, which is amazing, isn't it? That's how intimately he knows you. That's how intimately he loves you. 
And so Jesus says, when you're standing before evil men, when you're being persecuted on account of your faith in me, don't think that God has forgotten you. Don't think that God doesn't care. Don't think that God doesn't know the price that you are paying to follow me. God knows it intimately. God knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. He knows what you're, the suffering you're going through. He knows the friends who have forsaken you on account of me. He knows the family members who have turned their back on you because you're a Christian. He knows the promotions you've been passed over for. He knows the ridicule you've endured. He knows the pain you're experiencing. He knows the ultimate cost that some of you will, will have to pay because of your identification with me. God knows, God cares, and he's in control. And that's a great encouragement, isn't it, as we go through this? A great encouragement. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And so Jesus is saying, keep identifying with me. Because God loves you, he will not forget you. Even if you have to die, he's going to welcome you into his presence and reward you for your faithfulness. So these are encouragements. These, these are great encouragements to, to boldly testify to Christ. So that's the first heading, courage to testify to Christ. We saw these three times of do not fear and the reason given. And then I'll, I, the last part of our passage I put under this heading, the necessity to testify to Christ. The necessity to testify to Christ, verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who's in heaven. Pretty straightforward in one sense, isn't it? If we acknowledge Christ before men, then he will acknowledge us before his Father in heaven. Acknowledge is the, is the Greek word. Uh, it means to confess, to literally to say the same. And so he's saying if we acknowledge Christ, if we confess that we know him here on earth before men, then Jesus will confess that he knows us when we stand before God on that final day of judgment. If we declare that we are a follower of Christ now in the presence of men, then Jesus will declare that we are one of his on judgment day. But if we deny Jesus before men, if we deny that we know Christ, if we deny that we are a follower of Christ before men, then he will deny that he knows us before God on that final day of judgment. And then we would hear those dreaded words, depart from me, I never knew you that we saw in Matthew 7, right? Now, this does take a little consideration, doesn't it, this verse, make sure, this passage, to make sure we're understanding this correctly. Certainly, we understand that denying Jesus is a serious sin. But as we take the totality of Scripture, we'd say it's not the unpardonable sin, right? And for that, we'd have to look no further than the Apostle Peter, right? <laughs> Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet Christ forgave him and restored him to gospel ministry. So here in Matthew 10, this verse is, please understand this, this verse is not talking about uh, a temporary, one-time denial of, of nerve. Rather, it's talking about a settled denial of heart. A settled denial of heart. 
Jesus is saying that if you're the type of person who claims to be a Christian, but yet you're continually denying me, you're continually going along with this sinful world, then don't think that in the end, I'm going to claim you as my own. He's like, you haven't demonstrated that you belong to me. You've not demonstrated real faith, real identification with Christ. Another way of saying it is Jesus is not interested in secret followers. To be a Christian is to publicly identify with Christ. It's to publicly confess that Jesus is Lord. It's to publicly identify with him in the waters of baptism. It's to publicly follow him, declaring through your life and your words that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that he is your Savior, that you're trusting in him, that your hope is in Christ alone. And so Jesus is saying, if you go through life and you don't do that, you continually deny me, then I'm going to deny you. course these are these words should be right a chilling warning for those who would deny Christ for those who are are pretenders right for those who are just kind of going through the motions but they they've not personally embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior and again persecution has a way of really weeding the pretenders out doesn't it because they're those who are just pretending, those who are just kind of going through it out of tradition or out of obligation or out of uh, perceived benefits or something, once the heat gets turned up and suffering really starts happening on account of identification with Christ, then they say, whoa, wait a minute, right? We're out of here. But by God's grace, those, as we've been considering all along, right, those who have truly been united to Christ in faith. Again, they may have temporary denial of nerve at, at different times, but God's going to bring them to repentance. They are going to deny, or excuse me, they are going to acknowledge Christ. They're going to testify to Christ. They're going to say, yes, he is my Lord and Savior. Come what may. God's Spirit's going to be giving them the grace, giving them the, the courage to do that to follow Jesus down the path of suffering, if that's the road that God has ordained for us. And so as we wrap up today, I just want to ask you, have you identified with Christ? Right? Just coming to church doesn't equal identifying with Christ. I'm glad you're here. It's good to be under the word of God because it's, it's through the, the, the word that God brings faith and new life into our hearts. But to follow Christ, it's to stand up and personally say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died in in my place on the cross. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he's alive and that he's reigning now. It's Lord that he's coming again one day to judge this earth. He is my Lord and Savior. I am a Christian. And so if you've not done that, I invite you to do that. I invite you to make that known, to, to go public with it. We, we'd love to hear your, your profession. We'd love to see you um, uh, symbolize what God has done in your life through the waters of baptism.
And so may God, may God continue to draw many to himself. And then believers today, we've seen the, the necessity of testifying to Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian. And then we've seen that, I hope you've been encouraged just by seeing all the, the truths, all the blessings, all the promises that God is giving us to give us courage to testify to Christ. And so I just leave you with this thought. As I was thinking about this message this week, just, just think with me for a, a minute. This passage is talking about courageously proclaiming Christ, living for Christ, prayerfully looking for opportunities to testify to Christ. And so dream with me, what could God do? What could God do through a group of people who were committed to doing that? What could God do through a group of believers who courageously live for Christ and proclaim Christ? What fruit would God be pleased to bear through a group of people who were sold out for Jesus, who were walking with him in the power of the Spirit? I say, let's find out. Let's find out what God could do. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. Again, we... We just, I know we barely scratched the surface when we start considering how completely other you are from us, that you are holy and there's no one like you, that you are the maker and sustainer of all things, that you are the sovereign Lord over every inch of this universe. And then we start thinking about your, your infinite wisdom and your your steadfast love and your amazing grace and just how merciful you are that you, you chose to, to seek and save the lost, that you chose to send your own son to, to rescue sinners like us. And then we think about how you would even send your spirit to live inside us. Here you are the infinite almighty God and you come and dwell inside sinful finite creatures like us. And we, and we just, our minds just keep going through all the ways you've revealed yourself in, the, in, this, in your word and in this world. And we do, we stand in awe of you. We praise you because there's no one like you. And we, we're so thankful we can have an intimate relationship with you. And yet we also, we're, we're, we reverence you. We, we're in awe of you. There is no one like you. Forgive us, Father, for forgetting, to, forgetting that we live before your face. Forgive us for how we go through our days and, and don't, don't think about you, don't seek you, don't pray and ask for your, your help to obey you. Oh, God, please forgive us for times when we've been weak, when we've denied you or not spoken up for you when, when we could have. Lord Jesus, you, you went public for us. You publicly endured the, the, the shame and the suffering and even the Father's wrath for us. 
And so we pray that you will give us grace to, to go public for you. And we pray that you will help us to live our lives in light of the reality that you are Lord and Savior. Oh God, help us to, to be distinct. Help us to be who you've made us to be, salt and light in this world. And we pray that you will help us to follow Christ no matter what the cost. We, we see the, the winds of change even in, in our country, in our state. Apart from your grace and a revival or something, uh, the cost is likely going to increase to follow Christ. But we know you are faithful and we know that you will be with us. And so we pray that you will help us, help our young people as they live their lives following you. Help, help us all to identify with you at every opportunity. And we do pray for open doors for the gospel now. Help us to be bold, Father. Forgive us for being too silent. Forgive us for adopting a, a mindset of, of lifestyle evangelism where we, where, where we just never speak up for you and just go years and years and years without ever talking about Christ. Oh, may it be both. May our, may our lives match our, our witness. But we pray for opportunities to witness to Christ, to others about Christ. And we praise you that you are a God who's continuing to save, to seek and save the lost, that you're continuing to build your kingdom. And so we pray that you'd be pleased to to build it through us. May you draw many around us to a saving knowledge of Christ. May we be your ambassadors. May we be your instruments to bring the good news to them. We do certainly pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ all around this world for whom this, this passage would hit very close to home. Lord, for those who are suffering right now, for those who are imprisoned or those who are being tortured or those who have had to be kicked out of their villages and, and out of their families. Oh, Father, please bring, bring your comfort, bring your presence in a very real way to them right now. Impress upon them the truths of, of, of these of passages like this, that you know, that you care, that you, you love them so much, you know what they're going through and that you're in control. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you that you are coming again and that you will make all things right. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we have the opportunity now to... Uh